So I'm here to, to deliver a message that I think will echo uh, from what was said earlier, and it's don't give up. 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 Don't give out and don't give in. But especially don't give up. There are a lot of people in this room who are waiting on a promise, and I'm here to remind you, don't give up, no matter where you're at. See, there's some people who are in a, in a, at a point of transition. Uh, some people are, have gotten laid off within the past year. Some people are in a new career. Some are starting over. Some are starting from nothing. There's people who are getting promotions. There's people who are starting new jobs. There is a lot of people in transition, and in the transition, sometimes we can get a little bit sidetracked. See, all of a sudden, we have to make an adjustment. And in those adjustments, we can experience uncertainty. Uncertainty about the right, if we made the right decision. Uncertainty about the future. So whether you're in transition, in process, which is what the in process I say as, you, you, you know what God has said. You're not quite where you used to be, but you're certainly not where you want to be and where God has called you. So you're in process. You're waiting for the manifestation of all God's promises. So if you're in process, if you are feeling opposition, can I get an amen? amen. If you're suffering, if you're, you're feeling just an, an opposition to, to your breakthrough, as Dale Gentry says, opposition to your mission, there's always opposition to your mission because the devil does not want you to accomplish what God has spoken over your life. He hates the fulfillment of the word of God in your life. And then there are those who are just in a place of adversity where things are coming against you. So if where, wherever you're at, whatever the case may be, whatever you're facing, maybe today, maybe tomorrow, maybe it's next month, you can prepare yourself, but you need to hear the words, don't give up. Let those echo in your spirit. If you walk out of here today and you hear nothing more than, than those words, don't give up, I'm satisfied. You tune me out now, that's fine. Just don't give up. So what I want to do is spend a little bit of time talking about the six R's of Elisha's life. And I hope that we can extract a little bit of inspiration and maybe follow the pattern to see some breakthrough in our lives. If you'll open your Bibles, open your apps, tablets, smartphones. 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 19. It's so amazing how the print in my Bible just keeps getting smaller and smaller. I don't, I don't really understand it. I know it's not my eyes. We there? First Kings nineteen nineteen. So he departed from there. That was speaking of Elijah. The, it was the mentor to Elisha. So he departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, while he was plowing with 12 pairs of oxen before him. And he with the 12th. And Elisha passed over to him and threw his mantle on him. He left the oxen, speaking of Elisha, he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, please let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow you. And he said to him, that's Elijah speaking, go back for, for what have I done to you? So he returned from following him and took the pair of oxen and sacrificed them and boiled their flesh with the implements of the oxen and gave it to the people and they ate. They had a big party. Then he arose and followed Elijah and ministered to him. So the first thing I want us to take away from this historical account from the life of Elisha is that we must, the first R is recognize. We must recognize the voice when he speaks. 
See, Elisha had heard many voices throughout his life. I'm sure everyone around him had plenty to say. I know in my short 40 years, I've met a lot of people, I've been around a lot of people, and everyone has a lot to say. They have a lot to say to you. They have a lot to say to others. So there's always this constant sound around you. People are always vying for your attention. See, we have so many voices. See, we have all these things that are wanting our attention, and everything is clamoring, hear me. But we must recognize the voice through the other voices. I'll tell a story. John told this the other day, and I probably won't be able to tell it near as, as funny as him, because he would, he, would he would commit to the role. He has, on various occasions and a lot, he makes this sound with his mouth, and it's like a whistle. So he does this whistle sound. He does it a lot. He does it at random. And so uh, there's a lot of times where I'll, I'll go, you okay? Because sometimes you need to check. You know, you never know. So, so he, he does this. All right. So back to the story. So we're one day at HUB, and we've only gone to the store together maybe once or twice. This happens to be on that occasion. So, of course, everyone knows how fast John walks. Like, within two seconds, I'm going to go get what I want. And off he goes. And I never see him again for like ten minutes. So I'm leisurely walking around. I'm looking, trying to get what I'm going to get. So I finally get it all. I'm coming back to the front because I'm ready to go. And I'm thinking, where is he at? Because I can never find him. So I start looking around, and I'm at the, the front of the checkout stand. You know, it's, it's real big. There's a lot of people there. So I, I'm looking all around, and all of a sudden, I hear, <laughs> and immediately I go. And so John says that everyone heard the sound, but only one heard the call. I heard the call. I was familiar with that sound. I, I, I was like, oh, God. Oh, thank the Lord nobody knows him. See, so Elijah, through all the noise and all the talking and all the voices, he had to recognize the voice. I'm telling you, we need to recognize the voice. That's the voice that will mold us and shape us and change us. But the problem is we get so used to following the wrong voice that we start to not recognize the right voice. And we need to recognize the voice that is speaking. See, Elijah also says, Elijah just simply came up to him, threw his cloak on him. You wouldn't think that's a big deal, but Elisha knew what it meant. And so Elisha not only heard his voice, but he recognized the call that was on his life. See, just a simple cloak, but it was everything to Elisha, and he, and he recognized the voice and the call. And so sometimes we, aren't, we don't find ourselves responding because we're not recognizing the right voice. See, year after year, Elisha plowed that same field until the Lord called him out. There's many in here you may feel you're plowing the same field and the same field and you're doing the same thing. But we have to listen for the voice of God and be willing to obey him. See, he was no stranger to the land. He, I'm sure he could close his eyes. He could describe the smell, the feel. He, he could describe the landscape, everything around it. He could probably close his eyes touch an, a, a tool or an implement, tell you what that was capable of doing. See, that had been his source of provision his whole life. See, it's all he, he had known. It was everything to him. It had provided for so many years, and I'm sure it was so comfortable to him. It felt so right. But now the very thing that was comfortable, familiar to him, the thing that he would return to day and day again, now must become obsolete and foreign. And he must let go. 
just a side note, I think that what's interesting is when the, the Scripture says that earlier, before chapter 19, uh, the Lord speaks to Elijah and says, go find your replacement. I just want a, a little side little note to the ministers in here. And we're all ministers of the gospel, but there are people who, who, who may you know, be in a, a pulpit ministry, just ministry in general. Um, and I would say what we need to realize is without hesitation, Elijah went to find his replacement. See, he didn't hold on to the gifting and the calling and thinking, I'm not going to let this go. See, it, it's, it's, it's like Lena teaches. Is any leader, no matter who you're leading, what leading capacity you do, whether it's at a job or a work, our job as Christians is multiplication. So we are called to pour into the next generation. What you're seeing here is a sort of a handoff from one generation to the next, saying, I've done it this long. I, I'm pouring into you to see the next generation so many ministers and so many people are so afraid of the next generation doing twice as much or looking way better that they really want to hold on to it for dear life. But we must be willing to pour into the next generation because really it's all for the glory of God. Amen? See, multiplication is a mandate on our lives. So give of yourself. Not, don't give stingingly, but with liberality. See, the Bible says, freely you have received freely give. Give of yourself. Give of your time. Give of your resources. I just found it interesting that Elijah just, just did it. He didn't complain. But God, I'm not finished. I have more to do. I, you said this. You said that. But God says, okay, now it's time for the next generation to rise up. And most people would really want to finish their, their leg of the race, like, like if you're running a marathon and you're handing off the baton and, and you go past the guy who's supposed to get it. That's not the right order. So we need to make sure when God is saying hand off, we hand off. Amen. So we need to give with liberality. So after we recognize, the next step is to respond. By respond, I mean we must fully submit to the will of God. See, Elisha knew that day in his heart that God was calling him to something brand new. Things would never be the same and that there would be no going back. He, without having to know what light ahead trusted God, and all that he seemingly gave up was nothing in comparison to the rich reward of following God. See, the, the Scripture says he, he took the implements, he threw them in the fire, burned them, and then slay the oxen. All that he had known. Every day he was around those, those, those oxen, the implements. But in one moment he goes, this life I'm done with. I feel that I'm supposed to follow. And so he, he went with God. He, he went all the way. See, his response was in total surrender, without question. See, he didn't know the cost, but something tells me he understood that the cost would be great. But either way, it didn't matter to him. So he builds the fire, and he, and he offers a thanksgiving to God. He says, all that I have, God, is yours, and he burns it up in the fire. So he slew his oxen. He throws a wild party for everybody. He's like, yo, I just called. I just got called out of my old job. Let's have a party. Like, how many of you get called to a new job and you're like, let's have a party. Let's, have, let's throw a buffet service. You'd be like, well, I just lost my job and I've got a new one. I don't have any money. Y'all need to, we'll do this Dutch treat. Y'all bring some. See, he burned all that was valuable to him. Everything that meant something to him, his life's work now thrown in the fire. See, if something has value to it, we want to keep it, hold on to it. 
We, 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 we love our items. There are heirlooms that are passed down generation to generation. Those things are precious to us. I mean, just think about if a kid has a toy, another kid walks up to him or an adult, says, give me that, they grab it, and all of a sudden the kid's going to go, that's mine. That's how we are with our things. Whatever it might be, everything that's precious to us, whether it be a, a, a bottle of water or a, a, or a, a pen that was handed down from, from you know, another generation, those things are precious to us, and they have value. And so you don't want to get rid of them. But he, without hesitation, throws it all in the fire and realizes that has no value to him. But following the voice of the Lord has all value. And surrender has value. See, I can imagine all of Elisha's family and friends, community, just, you know, kind of sitting around when, when Elijah shows up. You have Elijah who's plowing. Elisha comes, you have, sorry, Elisha who's plowing. Elijah comes up. Throws a cloak on him. He, he steps down, runs after her. All of a sudden, everybody's like, what's Elisha doing? Wait, wait, what's he taking those yokes off? What's, what's going on? And then he throws them in the fire, and they're like, what are you doing? And then all of a sudden, they, they, they turn around, and he has a knife in his hand. And they're like, whoa, dude, what are you doing? That's the way you live. That's, that, that provides for you. That, you. What are you doing? He just says, no, I'm done with this life. All that God is calling me to, this is only an obstacle and I will not look back to this. See, there's always well-meaning people around our lives that just won't understand the level of surrender that you have. Even people, well-meaning people in church, they'll say, oh, do you really need to pray that much? Do, do you really need to, to do, do, what about, do you really need to fast? Do, do you really need to, to go to church? Do you really need to, to worship like that? Do you really need to, to surrender everything? I mean, Everything? Do you, do you really have to follow God? See, there's well-meaning people in our lives, and, and they mean well, but sometimes you just got to listen for the voice and then respond appropriately. The next R that, that I hope we can kind of imitate is it's to be resolute. No going back. No going back. No going back to the former things. No going back to the former thoughts, the former ways. No going back to the things that he's brought you out of. No going back to a, a, a mentality that, that he has freed you from. So we must be resolute and not look back. I want to counter that with the first generation of Israelites who found themselves in the wilderness. In the book of Exodus, chapter 14, 10 through 12. Exodus 14, 10 through 12, and it says this. As Pharaoh drew near, the sons of Israel looked, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they became very frightened. So the sons of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away in the wilderness to die? Why have you dealt with us in this way, bringing us out of Egypt? Psh, the nerve of you. The nerve of you. I was, I was fine. I was fine in my slavery. Why did you have to bring me out here and... See, is this not the word? I mean, they're, they're telling him, is this not what we told you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. I'm very comfortable in my oppression. I'm very comfortable in, in, in my slavery mentality. I'm very comfortable in my sin. I'm very comfortable in, in, in my, my non-obedience. I'm very comfortable in, 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 in not having a breakthrough. I'm very comfortable in not seeing the promises of God fulfilled. I'm very comfortable in, in, in just a low-level Christianity. I'm, I'm, just, I'm, I'm very comfortable um, 
not really pressing into God. I'm very comfortable with just singing a song. I'm very com- but don't mess with my heart. Don't ask me for more. Don't, don't, I don't really want to be free. I want to pretend that I want to be free. I, I'll walk out, but I really feel forced to walk out. But, but, but I'm not really sure. I'm sort of comfortable where I'm at. Just leave, leave me alone. I'm just going to stand here, pretend that everything's okay. See, for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians. See, the first generation of Israelites were constantly complaining that it was better before they were delivered out of Egypt. See, they were more comfortable in their slavery than they were at taking a risk with God and believing that he was for them. Jeremiah 29, 11 declares, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Yes, those words were said after them, but God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and he does not change. So he's always been for them, and he's for you. See, he knows the plans he has for you. You may not know the plans. Maybe you know a piece of the plan, but he knows the fulfillment of it. And he is just waiting for us to recognize his voice and respond when he calls. See, he has plans for you. He has better plans than you could ever dream of. Even if you saw a a snippet of it, there is so much more that God has for you. There is so much more he wants to do in you. See, the Israelites had a problem. They had a sight problem, and all they could see was themselves. How does this affect me? What about me? What, what, about, what about me? Where's, where's the food? I'm, I'm going to die out here? Where, where's the drink? What? You, uh, what? How, you mean i gotta, I got to walk out this a little longer? There might be food down there. There might not be. What? Oh, you sent quail? What? Now we got sick? Like, really, dude? See, so the problem is they were so consumed with self that they fought to preserve their lives at all cost. And so they got just that. They got to keep their lives, but they did not enter into the promises of God. See, I've always thought, not openly, but I think subconsciously when I, when I think about the, the Israelites in the wilderness, I always thought, well, God was testing them. And actually, when you read Scripture, it says they were testing God. See, we think, oh, we're being tested. And it's like, no, 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 you are so dumb that you are going to have to go around in a circle for 40 years because you won't listen to me. See, they wanted their way, but you must, in God, enter in his way. See, there's only one way. I know there's a lot of teaching out there that says there's a lot of ways. I heard it just the other day. You know, it's all the same God. There's multiple ways to, to him, and I, I have to declare this Bible says there's one way, and his name is Jesus. There's only one way, and I will not be ashamed to say that. There's one way. I'm sorry you're, 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 you're incorrect, but according to this word, and I believe this word, I believe this word with my life, that there's one way, and he is the way. He is the gatekeeper. He is the way, the truth, and the life. So they got what they wished for. Sometimes we can get what we wish for if we want to be stubborn in our ways. But I want to counter that with what, what Elisha did. 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 1. I'm reading out of the New American Standard. The only version. Right on. Second Kings 2 1. And it came about when the Lord was about to take Elijah by a whirlwind to heaven. Look, when I wanna when I go out, I want to go out in style. Like, just take me up, Lord. Up to the, the blue yonder. 
If I knew an old hymn, I'd sing it, but can't recall that right now. 2 Kings 2.1, and it came about when the Lord was about to take Elijah by a whirlwind to heaven that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. Elijah said to Elisha, stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. But Elisha said, sometimes you got to say, come on, sometimes you got to say, as the Lord lives and as yourself live, I will not leave you. I will not stay here, but I will press on. See, three times in this passage of Scripture, Elijah gives Elisha the opportunity to stay. He says, I'm going to go here. You stay here. He goes, ain't going to happen. He goes to the next place. The Lord has sent me to here. You should stay here. Elisha says, "Uh uh-uh, ain't happening. I'm coming. One more time, he goes, look, the Lord is sending me to the Jordan. Uh, you remain here at Bethel. He goes, ain't gonna happen. See, sometimes you need to say, I will not be moved. I will not stay here, but I will press on. See, three times, Elisha was given the opportunity to turn back, but he would not be persuaded. He was, I'm all in. I'm all in. See, there was just something about Elisha. There was something on the inside of him that pressed him, pushed him. He could hear the voice inside whispering, come on, you can do it. Don't stop. Don't stop here. Keep going. He could just sense something was just on the other side. Breakthrough was just within reach. He didn't know it, but he could sense it. See, he couldn't see it. He couldn't explain it. But something said, press on, press on, keep going. Don't give up. Don't give up. Are y'all receiving this? Don't give up. I don't care what the devil's been telling you. Don't give up. You have a calling on your life. Don't give up. We have to be in a new building. Don't give up. Press in. Come on, there are people who are called to the nations. Don't give up. There are some people called to the college campus. Don't give up. There are some called to the corporate world. Don't give up. I don't care what they say. I don't care if you were, you, you were raised in high school and they said you're, 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 you're just, you're, your stick doesn't reach, your elevator doesn't go to the top, or your stick's too short. I don't care. If God has said you will run a business, then you'll run a business. If you only believe. But you got to go. You got to go. You can't stay. You have to go. You have to move. See, three times Elijah says, stay here. That word stay here, let me just tell you a, a, a few things that it means. Abide, convey, dwell, dweller, inhabits, inhabited, occupy, past, peaceful, retire, live, remain, settle, sitting, sit down, spent, stand, stay, see, no, 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 don't go to the end, don't go all the way, no, 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 just settle for that, settle for this, settle for that, just settle anywhere but where God has called you, don't, don't press on to the promise, just settle for this, just settle for the mundane, settle for this breakthrough but not that breakthrough, settle for this healing but not that healing, settle for this but not that. Settle for anything other than what God has said. See, just fall short. Just almost make it. See, the devil loves for us to almost make it. He is proud as long as you don't fulfill it. But God has called us to fulfill. And he says, don't settle, but press on. Come on, don't give up. Come on, people. Do you hear me? Don't give up. Ah, yeah, I'm yelling. I don't care. Don't give up. 
Come on, we have to have some resolution in our lives and say, we are not giving up. Dwell here, live here, remain here, settle here. Don't go where you're supposed to go, just stop here. Settle for this. Be content with almost a promise. Almost. You did good. You almost got that promise. You did really well. You almost got that breakthrough. Way to go, champ. You almost made it. No, 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 no. He said, Elijah, you can ask me a thousand times. And a thousand times I will say, I press on. He was resolute. He would not be shaken. He would not move. See, the enemy wants you to stop just short. Just short. Don't go all the way. Just, just stop short. Be happy there. Okay? Another thing, you can look back as long as you don't long to go back. Nothing wrong with looking back. Just don't long to go back. And Jesus said to him, No man, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. Luke 9, 62. I'm going to say that again. And Jesus said unto him, No man, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. See, now there's nothing wrong with looking back. See, that's not what this passage of Scripture is talking about. See, if you're reflecting on all that God has done or said, that kind of looking back you should do. But this is the kind of looking back that says, I was better off before. See, this is someone who is on a plow. Jesus is talking about one who looks back with regret. See, this is speaking of what happens is if you're plowing a field, you have oxen pulling. You have to keep your eyes on, on, on the line because if you turn back and you look, you're no, you're no longer looking where you're supposed to be going. And so your lines get off. So that kind of looking back causes you to miss the mark. So don't go off course. Don't give up. Press on. Isaiah 43, 18 says, forget the former things. Do not dwell. Do not settle. Do not go back. Do not long for. Do not look for. Do not dwell on the past. Don't live there. Don't habitate there. Don't, don't, build, a, don't build a fire there. Don't get all warm and cozy there. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. Don't give up. Come on, shout it out. Don't give up. Come on, shout it out. Don't give up. Philippians 3, 14 says this. I press on towards the goal. You don't give up. I press on towards the goal. There's momentum. There's movement. So we have recognize, respond, resolute. And now we come to probably will be Lena's favorite word, radical. Radical. We must be radical. Look at how Elijah responded. After three times of being asked, hey, won't you just hang here? Okay. Elisha, this is a tough road, man. Maybe you should just hang back a little. I got this. God's calling me. And he's like, no, 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 dude. You don't, I, don't, I don't think you know who I am. I'm determined. I'm resolute. I'm, I'm going for it. We must be radical. See, Elijah, even after all that, hungered for more. 2 Kings 2.9 says this. And when they had crossed over, speaking of the Jordan, Elijah said to Elisha, Ask what I shall do for you. Before I am taken from you. And Elisha said this. Good answer. Please let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. 
Now, I know there's a lot of double portion teaching out there. I'm not here to debate that. I don't particularly think it means a double portion of the Holy Spirit. There's one Holy Spirit. I don't think you really need to ask for two of them. It's sort of like saying, Holy Spirit, you aren't enough. I need two of you. And he's like, well, you ain't seen nothing yet. See, but most, most people, when you really study that, um, most uh, theologians, will, they sort of agree that what he really said there, it was sort of customary in the Hebrew culture, that anytime there was a firstborn son, he would get double inheritance. And so to me, Elisha was saying, I want to be recognized as the firstborn. I want to be recognized as your son. See, but my take on that is, is that really what he was asking for is for his life to be marked. His life to be marked. Marked by the Spirit. Marked for significance. Not for his glory, but that the glory of the Lord would be shown through him. See, that his life would be so hidden in God that when people mentioned Elisha's name, they couldn't help but speak of the name. See, he wanted to be recognized, something different about him. He wanted his life to be filled with purpose. See, Elisha responded and recognized the call in his life, but now he knew he needed the Spirit to accomplish it. We need to cry out for more. We need to press in for more. We need to cry out for the, the Holy Spirit's help. Come on, he, he's here to help us, and we, we try to live life without the help of the Spirit. And he is a gift to us. This is the age of this Holy Spirit. Why would he not help us? That's what he's here for, to empower us, to equip us, to see the kingdom expanded on this earth. So we cried out for more. i got to have more. See, the first generation of Israelites were marked for greatness. The promise lied before them, but they just couldn't get over themselves. It was all about them. See, we get so tangled up and we get tripped over our own two feet. We have this incredible ability to be resilient in our stupidity. That's not a compliment. But y'all still love me after, right? Okay. I'll slay you with words now and love you later. See, who needs the enemy causing trouble when really he just leaves it up to us and we can fumble the ball every time? So we reached another R. And this time... It's rehearse. This little section, I've titled it Baptism, Out of Death into Life. See, what's interesting to me is that just before Elijah is taken up, they, him and Elisha cross the Jordan. Okay, you'll know that with the second generation of Israelites, there also was a mention of the Jordan. And I thought, well, that's interesting and, but actually, there's, there's a little more to it. Now, I don't know if you're, if, if you're like me and you're into all these, like, strange facts, but I just, I don't know why I'm talking about it now, but, you know, when um, Elijah found Elisha, you know, he was on 12 pair of oxen. Well, there's a lot of numbers, and they usually mean stuff, and I happen to like that kind of stuff. Some people are, like, bored with it. But I just find it interesting that you have uh, 12 oxen, 12, 12, 12 yoked oxen. You have 12 apostles. You have 12 tribes. Uh, 12 24, you have 24 elders around the throne, you have 24 oxen. Um, I'm sure Kirk could probably teach this over and underneath me and sideways and up again. But I just think, you know, find it interesting because 12 is the, the number of authority and power, and it's really the perfect governmental authority. And so 24 is like an extreme amount of authority. So numbers in, in the Bible aren't just at random. There's always a reason. And uh, if we just seek them out, God will show us. They're hidden for us to find. 
Right. Just a little, little side note. We'll go back. So rehearse. See, here's where the, the, the where you really need to key into why, what's so important about the Jordan. And this is just something I discovered. See, the Jordan River has, first I'm going to talk about two other streams that flow into it. And I want to look at those two. One is the Jabbok, meaning emptying. So there's a Jabbok that flows into the Jordan River, and that one means emptying. Jabbok means emptying. And the other is Cherith. Now, if, if you're, that sounds familiar, um, do you remember who was found by the brook Cherith? Okay, that was Elijah. And at the brook Cherith is where he was fed by a raven. And so Cherith means cutting away. And so what it means is, you know, in a, in a symbolic way, is cutting away something. So let's, let's hold on to that. So we have cutting away and we have emptying oneself. Joshua 4 is just a little passage of Scripture about the Israelites where they are crossing the Jordan into the Promised Land. Okay? And so they're, they're coming across. Uh, Joshua tells the people carrying the ark, the priests, go down to the middle of the water, stay there. And so they're there. You know, there's this dry land. What's flowing down is blocked. Okay? And then what's here is, you know, just dry, wherever it went. I don't know. God's amazing. It would have been amazing to see. But so anyway, so they're crossing. Joshua tells uh, 12 people to grab 12 stones, put on their shoulder, take from the riverbed, place them on the shore of Canaan. Okay? At the same time, you have Joshua who builds 12, interesting, 12 again. He, he puts 12 stones in the river. Now, think about that. You have 12 stones in the river where the priests were. You have 12 stones on the land. Okay, what happens when the water is let go? You have a beautiful picture of baptism. You now have the old life washed by the river and the new life emerged on the sand. Out of, out of death into life. What's in the, the river will never be seen again. My old life can never be seen again. I've buried it in Christ, in the Jordan. I've, I've left it there. I will not resurrect it. I will not bring it back. But I will die to self, but I come out on the other side resurrected in new life. See, it's left in the water. It's now submerged, washed, baptized to show a life in surrender, death to the old life. But yet, on the shore is a picture of a new day and a new man. See, I, I just sort of thought it was interesting. You have the first generation that sort of fell miserably, and you have the second generation who crossed over. And I think about the first Adam, and I think about the second Adam. And I, and I think about the correlation. There is so much, when I was reading about this, that there's a lot to do with the Jordan River and Jesus. He went to the Jordan River to be baptized. Uh, a, a lot of stuff that Elijah did followed what Jesus did. I won't get into that, because you might get bored. I happen to love it. There's a lot of stuff that you can really find, and it's it's for your gain. Like, it's not just in there to bore you. See, in order to cross the Jordan, there must be a setting aside of your will. See, at this very Jordan, later Jesus would come to these waters to be baptized. Why? To illustrate a life in total surrender to the will of the Father. See, he said, not my will, but your will be done. Ah, oh, there's so much in that story. I'm going to move on. The Jordan, going back to this, means this, the descender, to be brought low. See, what it means is, and what it symbolically represents, is bringing down one's strength. See, so it's important 
that they cross through the Jordan and not try to go around the Jordan. See, you got to go through the Jordan. You got to go through the place of being brought low, your strength. See, but in order to be brought low, it's always in connection with the two other streams. That's emptying yourself and cutting away those things that have no benefit to you. Do you get it? That, that stuff's in there for a reason. Like, it's not just a random mention. Those two streams feed into the Jordan. So you must have things cut away from your life. You must empty yourself in order to be brought low, for your strength to be brought low. The New Testament declares this. When I am weak, I am strong. What do you mean? I am weak, I am strong. When I am weak, I am strong. No, when I am weak, I am strong, right? So we need our strength, our own strength, to be brought down, to be brought low. Romans 6, 4 says this. Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. Newness of life, that, that, that word means quality. Life, the, have you heard someone say the Zoe life? What that means, that encompasses our whole body, our physical and spiritual. And there's the, the word walk, it means concerning advancement. God has called us to advancement. Did you hear me? No, I don't think you did. He didn't call me to advancement. He did call me, but he called you to advancement. He called you to advancement. He called you to advancement. Maybe you want to advance. Maybe you don't. That's your choice. He told them, I choose life. Before I put life and death, choose. See, we have a choice. See, the first generation chose themselves. The second generation chose him. They weren't perfect, but they still chose him. Elisha's life echoed, not my will be done, but thy will be done. The Israelites' lives shouted, not thy will be done, but my will be done. Which category do you find yourself in? Honestly, is it about you? Is it about what you want to do? Is it about what you feel? Or is it about the revelation of God in your life and the promises he has for you? See, it's not just about prophetic promises. Those are amazing. There's also promises in here that are guaranteed. If we, if we follow and we obey and we hear him, but we must recognize, respond, be res re resolute. We must be radical, press in for more, cry out for more. And we must rehearse, 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 remember, practice, look at it again, think about it, dwell upon those things that he's done for us. Not dwell upon the past, not what, oh, it's so much better back then. Yeah, when I was lost and miserable, it was so good. But he says, rehearse what he has done for you. Hebrews 3 says this. Hebrews 3, the Holy Spirit says, Today, when you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Today, when you hear his voice. Today. When is today? Today. When is tomorrow? When you get there, today. It's, it's always today. So you always have a choice, and you always have a way to say, Thy will be done. Maybe yesterday I said no, but today I'm saying, Thy will be done. See, today I'm saying your will be done. Do not harden your heart. See, if you continually, day by day by day, harden your heart, when you get there, you're, you're no longer able to recognize, but if you continue one day and you go, what, I, I slipped up yesterday, guess what? You have a new day, and today, do not harden your heart when you hear his voice. Today, when you hear his voice, every day is today. Every day, day by day, choice by choice, decision by decision, life or death, life or death, life or death. See, faith enters in. Fear says, remain here. Settle here. Be content 
here. See, earlier we talked about things that have value, like right heirlooms, they're, they're precious to us. I found this so interesting. Check out Hebrews 4, verse 1 through 2. Hebrews 4, 1 through 2. Verse 1 just talks about entering into the rest. Uh, they talked about how if, you know, through the generations they said you can enter his rest. Well, there's still a rest to enter. It's not like one day you just enter his rest. Because sometimes we like to go back into a work mentality. We want to work it out. And God's saying, no, no, every day enter my rest. So he's talking about entering the rest. Verse 2, check this out. This is what it says. For we have also had the gospel proclaimed to us. He's talking about the New Testament people, the, the disciples. For we have also had the gospel proclaimed to us, just as they did, meaning the Israelites. So here's what Paul says next about the Israelites. But the message they heard was of no value to them. Do you value the message of the gospel in your life? Do you value the word of God? So here's the list, and I'm closing up. Number one, we recognize. Elisha recognized the voice of one calling. It was Elijah's words and Elijah's mantle, but that which was put upon him, but it was his voice, the voice of God that was heard. We must push past the noise around us, the hustle, the bustle of everyday life, and hear his voice through the mundane. We must respond. See, in recognizing whose voice was calling, Elisha then responds, not with fear, but with faith, and immediately follows Elijah. We must be resolute. We cannot waver. If, El if Elisha had given in and chose to stay behind, he would never have experienced the fullness of what God had planned for him. Don't give up. I'm telling you, don't give up. I'm not just saying that there's people in this room that you're just on the edge of breakthrough. This church is just on the edge of breakthrough. But the devil wants to, to, to keep us in a place where we don't believe the promises. But I'm here to tell you the promises are true. And they are yes and amen. They are yes and amen. So don't give up. Don't give up. Don't give out. Don't give in. Don't give up. Fourth, we must be radical. Ask for your life to be marked by the Holy Spirit. Radical faith. Radical faith. Radical surrender. Radical obedience. What the world and probably most people in the church would say is ridiculous. But we are called to live above that. I don't want to settle for less than what God has called me to do. I want all that he has promised. The next one is rehearse. Rehearse it means to mentally prepare, recite, practice. Whatever it takes for you to remember what God has said and to hold on to it, you need to do it. So if, have kept, if, you, if you've been keeping count, how many does that make? Very good. Here's the sixth one, and it doesn't need explanation. It's to repeat. Recognize, respond, resolute, radical, rehearse, repeat. Recognize, respond, resolute, radical, rehearse, repeat. Recognize, respond, resolute, radical, rehearse, repeat. And it never ends. You constantly do that. You constantly recognize his voice, respond to him, be resolute about it, be radical in your faith, rehearse it again and again and again, and repeat it. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you have called this church to be radical believers.